Well, welcome back to Down for the Count. We're doing a special bonus episode this week. We were going to be on hiatus, but WWE Evil came out. And I started watching it, and I was like, we need to talk about this. So, as always, I have my girls with me. Nicole and Alexis is still, well, Janae is still out on her mental health break. So, shout out to Janae. She'll probably be back next week, hopefully. But I have Alexis, and I have Nicole. So, say hi, ladies. Hi. Hello. So we're going to talk about the first four episodes of WWE Evil. Now, if you don't know what it's about, it it should be self-explanatory in the title. But since you're a little bit slow, I'm going to help you. Okay. Essentially, it focuses on all of the heel characters, some of the most prolific or recognizable heel characters in WWE and some of WCW's history. Now, they started off with eight. They gave us Hollywood Hulk Hogan, The Miz, Randy Orton, The Brothers of Destruction. You get Stephanie McMahon, Roman Reigns, and what's the last one? Let me look at the episodes. Um, Ric Flair. So there were a couple of episodes that we did watch. We watched the first four, and the first four were Hollywood Hogan, The Miz, Sasha Banks, and The Brothers of Destruction. Um, all four of these were very good episodes. I really, really liked The Miz's episode. It was probably the most detailed episode of all four, and it really gave you insight into Mike Mizanin, and then he helps you to understand how he went from Mike to his alter ego, The Miz. And then it takes you through the stages of The Miz's character and how he got to being the A-list superstar that he calls himself now. So that was my favorite episode. Which episode was your favorite, Nicole and Alexis? Whichever one of you want to go first. Uh, Honestly, I think they're all good. Um, They... WWE really never has done anything like this for heel characters because it's always been like baby faces or in-betweeners. I think they need to throw Seth on there because like Seth can't be a face. He's a fucking heel. Of course. Um, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm probably not going to watch the Stephanie McMahon one because I do have issues with that woman. Her and her <laughs> husband. That's understandable. That's all, that's like me not watching the Hogan one. Can you just yeah. say more about her and her husband for forty-five minutes straight? Because oh um, my god, or slut, especially to her husband. Um, <laughs> I have I have an issue. Okay, um, I see that the Hogan the Hogan one like I I the Hogan one they could have gone a little bit more deeper on because so many other um, and they actually took my idea for what I wanted to do for so what happened was um, they could have gone a little bit they they went a little bit they should have went a little bit deeper because there's so many videos now out on the internet and there's idiots like me who know useless wrestling knowledge for no absolute reason Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's cool you mentioned that, but there's a big portion of actually what happened that you just kind of ignored or completely glanced over. But it's all right. Like, I get it. They didn't want to like self de- like um, self-deprecate themselves or whatever. Um, Randy Orton's probably going to be, Randy Orton's probably going to be going down as one of the best heels in WWE. I just started his. His is really good too. I like it. Um, I mean, I I skimmed through some of them. Um, all I got to say about Miz is that, as someone who's never been a heel girl, like I'll like the character, but then they'll do something like really shitty, and I'm like, oh fuck you, I hate you again, because <laughs> I still have the mentality of a 13 year old apparently, mm-hmm. and um. Like he, like I, I mean, I'm not a heel girl, but like honestly, it's like when you look at someone who's been a heel as long as the Miz, 
and you're like, you know what? You've made me hate you your entire step of your career, but I respect you as a person. You're okay. Like yeah. that, that's, yeah, that's like high acknowledgement, man. I remember distinctly that um, Nicole and Don used to say like, Miz never gets his flowers and people don't really give him his respect. And I was just like, man, fuck Miz. <laughs> I like fuck all of that. I don't like care about that issue. But real talk, that is true. When you look at how he went from taking an opportunity of a host to going to being the WWE champion, that's everything that we've talked about when it comes to being in the WWE. It's utilizing the opportunity. He made the best of a situation that most people would have just been like, okay, want me to be the host? I'll host it. Cool. No problem. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get my check, go home and do the work every week. No, Miz was like, I know I'm meant to be here. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to see what else I can do to get myself into a better place. And it, it really just proves that a person who has determination and drive can pretty much do anything when given the right opportunities. And he's one of them. And you can, you know, shit on him and hate the smug little piece of shit face that he makes and how he's such an asshole. But <laughs> he's made a career out of being an asshole. He's made that his brand. That is a part of what makes him the Miz. And you can't, I mean, without him, like, Miz, Miz brings a certain aspect to that company that I don't think a lot of people appreciate. And then when you look at what he went through to get there and how he capitalized on each opportunity that was given to him, whether he was beaten or he was winning, it just, like I said, it just proves that some people think a little bit too high of themselves and others understand that you got to work to get to where you want to be. And that's just it. And he worked. He earned everything that he got. One thing I did take away from his episode and one thing I didn't know was that um, the Miz and Brian Danielson really don't like each other at all. That is not kayfabe. That is absolutely... I told y'all that. I didn't know that Daniel didn't like I told like y'all him, that. And I didn't know he didn't like that. I, was like, I just thought those niggas don't like each other for real, for real. I was like, damn, that's... Daniel, Brian was sitting up there like... No, I don't like Mike. I've never liked Mike. And he was like, he came out there, we cut the promo on Talking Smack, but he came out there and he cut in. And that's when we got that infamous conversation between me and him and him calling me a coward. Where Miz got the best promos that Miz has ever done in his career at that point. That was it. Like Miz is just like, what pissed me off was he, it wasn't that he called me a coward. He said it was the way he said it. And when you go back and you watch it, it was very nonchalant, like he should know that he's a cowardly wrestler and that he's just like, you're a piece of shit. Like, you know this. I don't know why you're why you're even talking to me about this. It, it was very callous. And I think that's what pissed him off. And the Miz went off. And when I say he went off, he went off. If you haven't seen it, I'm sure there's thousands of clips on YouTube. You have to uh, he, he retweeted it tonight. I'll repeat it if people want to see it. It's on our, it'll be on our Down for the Count page, but you have to see it because the Miz is, well, in Miz's respect to the Miz, he was 100% correct because at that time, the Intercontinental Championship was rarely on television. It's rarely on television now. Yeah, well, no, it's been on TV for a while, but it wasn't a prominent storyline, and it's not now. She's right about that. But we're talking about the Miz holding that title. If we're going to be real, let's keep it 100% honest. 90% of the time when he's holding it, it is always, always, always a coveted belt. It was always a belt that someone wants because he has it. That means something. And a lot of the time when we were watching SmackDown during that time, he was on TV, but he wasn't defending it. There were no feuds for him. He was talking to people or he was stirring the pot 
for other feuds, but he wasn't involved in anything. And he's like, I want a championship match. I want a challenger. I want a feud. I want this, 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 and this. And he was frustrated. And Brian Danielson was just like, well, you know, you're, I'm not giving you anything because you're a coward. I don't believe you should hold that belt and you're a coward wrestler. That's just the way that it is. I think and I'm just that may have to do with just like how they both came up because like Miz was basically like, I'm a WWE fan and someone just happened to be watching the real world. And they're like, you know what? Let's get this kid in and see what he can do. And meanwhile, Daniel is on the opposite side where he had to work to get where he was. And even when he got to WWE, this motherfucker got fired, like, what, twice? Yeah, but well, I, I mean, think that that's not fair. I mean, the work is different. Just because the work is different doesn't mean it's not work. Because the Miz wasn't handed anything. Because so, they gave him, because the... um produced the producer in the real world said she was like we kind of brought him and they were like he was kind of a dork and then when yeah. he got to tough enough and they were like they gave him they were so because i remember watching that season they were so mean to him they mm-hmm. were so 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 fucking mean to him and they were mean to him that time mean to him when he got there that whole got worth a whole locker room bullshit and they lied on us you know they they felt like because he was a um um a reality star they were like yeah well he said he was eating chicken but he didn't eat it over anybody's bag he said they just spread the rumor that he was flinging chicken all over the damn locker room and because nobody liked him they believed him and they kicked him out that and i've been thinking about that for a while it's just like like no, I I know if you now if you eat good fried chicken, you get a little bit of grease, right? Yeah. But I'm thinking, how what fucking chicken were you eating, and how bad were you eating it? To the point you were getting it all over everybody's shit. Like I believe him when he says they lied on him because oh, they didn't like so. him. Oh, I believe that too. I believe, I believe they fucking yeah. lied. I think and, they lied on him, and they didn't like him. They didn't want him around, and he was just like. Maurice was like he had to dress in the bathroom for six months and he says she says he was in the bathroom signing autographs while trying to get dressed right before the show well in the public bathroom but then what what Tinker says completely contradicts what he's saying now because well you know he's I'm not I'm taking anything fucking Mark says with the grain of salt I mean I'm just saying this because I've heard multiple outlets say it okay but it's like He's the one who basically told everyone he's coming back in this dressing room. If you have an issue, come with me. You know having to deal with that shit. Miz is probably one of those guys who wanted that atmosphere in that locker room to change. So like the new guard, because now you're hearing you're hearing the story. Um, it was one of the authors of Pain. I've been meaning to tell mm-hmm. you guys this. One of the authors of Pain, I can't remember their names. Um, I always called them Toka and Razar. Just, just for some reason, the name stuck. Um, came out and said that Baron Corbin's a real piece of shit. Well, Baron Corbin also said people was cruel to him when he got there. So, so I'm, I'm not know. surprised. That whole locker was probably just... I, it was something like they were on a tour in Europe and then it's like... Um, I hey, guess, like, people always be cutting out when they go overseas. I don't understand. I don't know why. <laughs> Um, but him, like, Jericho getting choked out by um, Sin Cara. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Love that for Sin Cara. Um, but what, but what was it? It was just like he, they're like they're like, um, Baron was trying to tell them, and authors of pain, they, they were some big fucking guys, and Baron Corbin's trying to tell them like, oh, you need to carry like all this like beer or shit onto the tour bus, and they're like, man, we ain't doing that. And he's like, well, I had to do it, so you had to do it. And he's like, well, I'm not you, and I'm not fucking doing it. And apparently, and I was just like, you know what? Yeah, fuck you. I ain't doing this shit. I mean, that's, that's shit? the hazing that they suffered from, and they don't they don't do it now. But that was a part of the ritual. That's what Leo Rush was talking about. 
But his was worse because, you know, he's black, so it got worse. I I mean I think I think this whole these whole episodes. Nicole, what's been your favorite episodes of this? Because this is just something really cool that they pretty much came out of nowhere with. Um I'm the opposite out of all of them since um I've always really liked heel characters and I think I forgot I think it was it was okay I'll get another surprise random person was Dr. Phil and he said that's just sometimes a thing with bad guys is sometimes when people try to detest them so much is that you see something within them that you don't like about yourself yes and that's what I really appreciate because I always appreciate a good bad guy scenario especially within wrestling I love comics I feel like those characters are able to be a little bit more complex my favorite so far surprisingly has been Sasha Banks because I felt like I understood her a lot more Mm -hmm. I I was like because I've always I've always loved her as a wrestler I feel like she is very um underrated as a wrestler i think she's hands down top three best women on that roster now top two three best women to lace up some boots sans a couple legends in the past 10 15 years and i stand by that but i was just like some i've i never hated her character but i was never like fully a hundred percent behind it but this made me understand it a lot more, understood her a lot more. So mm-hmm. I think that's what I really appreciate about it. And I think that's what I'm going to really appreciate about this series is that it's going to show, like, it's going to have people have some understanding of people that they never really did before. And that's the same thing with The Miz. I've always liked The Miz. I've always been number one Miz um, defender because I understood him. Because I understood him trying hard and being good and and constantly being overlooked and being overshadowed when you're putting in so much work, you're putting in so much time and people that you feel like aren't working as hard as you or actually aren't working as hard for you are getting overshadowed or overshadowing you because of flashy bullshit. And I could personally relate to that. So I think that's why I connected with him. And that's why I'm such a defender of his character. Because I feel like that that really is a testament, I feel like, to me as a human being. Um, and then also, I really liked, and I think I really liked um, about Sasha's was like the nods to Eddie. But it was nods to Eddie that made her her own, which I really yeah. appreciated. Um. Yeah, I think the first four episodes were very good. Um, in the first one about Hollywood Hogan, they do take you through his transition from Hulk Hogan to Hollywood Hogan. And what? Mm. Uh, I remember. Okay, so. I've spoken so much about Paul and Nash when they came over to WCW and how, like, you can never have that again because the internet spoils it for you. And we weren't in the fucking dark ages. The internet was a thing, but it was not as accessible as it is now. You gotta wait till dial up. If it's storming, you can't get on. Your mom wants to make a phone call. You gotta have to wait. Um, Facts. When Hogan turned heel, the impact that that had was crazy because you ha- it was like by that time, it's like the gimmick got goofy. You know, we had all basically grown up from being like Hulkamaniacs or whatever because like who said it on the show? It was like it was the you know it was the nineties and everything was like grungier and and, like, and counterculture was at the top. Yeah. Especially in like 95, 90, like especially in 95, because it was the middle of the 90s. And that yeah. was the middle like, of the grunge era. Yeah. That was the, and hip hop was, was taking over and grunge was still at the forefront. 
So yeah, like you had two that you had two very anti-establishment genres that was like mm-hmm. completely dominating pop culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. Um, what was it? The East Coast and the West Coast Wars. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I would have like true. I went to school in the fucking country, but we would still have fights. Like kids would meet out like after the buses left for the day and they would get out there and they would whoop everybody's ass because one was wearing a biggie shirt and the other one was wearing a Tupac shirt. Okay, see, because I was an inner city kid, it was more like, you can't wear red because you're blood and you can't wear blue. You're a crit. Like it was more- This was was cheap entertainment to us back then. <laughs> it wasn't yeah it was even that what was our games we because we didn't have we had uh, we didn't kings. have so we had yeah we had latin kings all but but when i was like and even like middle school early high school most of the latin kings by that time were either dead or in jail so no one was really like repping like latin kings like that we did have bloods but they weren't that much and then we had there was like two other ones but i'm like completely completely blanking on what we had were <coughs> subsidiary gangs of the main gang so like christian mm. bloods were nationwide right yeah but then you have like the 44th street gang or you would have like the um oh we had 30th that's what it was that's what we had we had 30th too so you would have because i lived i lived on the west side on bel-air and our street the main street for that was West 130th. And the 30th Street Gang was heavily prevalent over there. You had uh-huh. the you had the Latin Kings. And if I recall, there were Crips and Bloods over there too. Most of the OGs for the Crips and Bloods were in prison, but their subordinates, their, you know, um, what they call them generals and lieutenants were still out and recruiting. And they would just create new gangs for whatever street they were on and those streets would rival so it was rough Biggie and Tupac were a big component in the in those days mm-hmm. but where we lived at the D-boys ruled the roost and if you didn't belong on the block you didn't belong on the block and you I either mean, got asked where you're from or you were killed Girl, like I said, I grew up in a hick town, so it's like the fact that we had people listening to Biggie and Tupac back then, that right there just was like, what the fuck is these white boys listening to Biggie and Tupac for? I mean, um, that was their version of, of a gang, I guess you could say. I'm that pretty was their sure. way of living. I'm pretty sure. You know, I went to life. I'm pretty sure I went to school with like kids whose parents belonged to the KKK, so... <laughs> wouldn't surprise me honestly the original gang i mean yeah. i mean Vicky and tupac were a big proponent of what was representative of what was happening they were a large scale a corporate version of what was really happening on the ground because yeah they, even, even when shit changed like towards the end of the 90s when it was like Pop music became a big thing and boy bands became a thing and the girl, oh my God, the fucking boy bands, like pop kind of became centered. It was still that counterculture where it's just like, yeah, like it's not going to go back to the way that things used to be. Like Macho Man even fucking changed up his name. If you changed his clothes to black. You know, mm-hmm. he got a he got he a little did. bit more of an edge to him, and because like, as a wrestler, you have to evolve with the times. Because if you don't evolve, you get left behind. That's why and some that's- wrestlers are fucking chameleons, and they can keep going as long as they can. And some they are just like, hey, you remember this guy from like two years ago? Right. That's why people like the Miz probably will last for a very long time. Um. But they talked about Hollywood Hogan and they talked about how he changed and they were just like, yeah, well, we're going to we're going to have Sting do it. And I was like, you're that, telling me that, that would have been, oh, my God, was supposed to be the original leader of NWO. And I'm like, I feel like 
no offense to Sting. Actually, I will offend Sting, so I really don't give a fuck about him. Um, that would have been so disastrous. You like, think so? I think so. And I don't even like Terry. Not that Terry, but Terry Hogan. Um, <laughs> Malaya. I think he, I can't believe I'm going to say this post, whatever year that was. Um, he was needed for it to be kind of usher in what it did and what it was supposed to because mm-hmm. his heel turn was so magnified and was so like shocking mm-hmm. it it had to be him if it was staying I, I I can't could you pick I can't pick I could just can't fucking picture seeing there was Scott Hall I and fucking Kevin Dash and leading them not not staying there but leading them it's like I think I agree with her because you have to think about Hulk Hogan bravado yeah the way that he and then it's the way he commanded the attention it was his character and then you think about it and you're like he literally just came out there and turned on a dime with no there was no lead up. There was nothing. It was just out of the blue. And everybody was just shocked. That sent a shockwave through the entire industry. And what it did was it set a precedence for how you can turn an extreme baby face into the ultimate heel. And it worked because that is a trope that they have used time and time again for countless others. So that's it. Appreciate you. Hello. Anyway, you want, <laughs> you, you want to go in the other room so I can finish talking? Yeah. No? I, just, okay. I, I, <laughs> the creative control thing with Hogan, and I want to have an episode where we just talk about creative control with certain wrestlers, and I know this isn't it, but like the creative control that Hogan has had over, or had, should I say, over sports entertainment professional wrestling whatever the fuck you want to call it at the end of the day it's grown people in spandex beating the crap out of each other that's what it comes down to um the stranglehold that he had with his creative control it fucked a lot of people and i really i really hope when dark shout out to dark side of the ring hi still waiting for you guys to call me like please i would love to be on your show um that i would love them to do uh, an episode about hogan and like just see like the careers that he kind of stalled and are like kind of pushed forward that really didn't deserve it like i'm gonna say something real controversial and i really don't give a fuck um him and the ultimate warrior no the fuck ultimate warrior i mean he's dead but you know i don't want to speak ill will of the dead but like i was re-watching dark side of the ring when um when i was on spring break because i was taking a mental health day myself because i was just like you know what let's get depressed by watching this shit and um if it wasn't like if it wasn't for ultimate warrior pulling his bullshit jake snake would have probably became wwe champion it's just like if he did if Ultimate Warrior did that to Jake the Snake who else did Hogan do this to because you always hear people coming out like god bless Iron Sheik man he's fucking nuts but like I love him that's another one I thought they should have always comes out and talks shit about Hogan and I love it because I'm I'm like you know I I was talking to my brother about it and he said the same thing Nicole said he was just like Having Sting being the leader of the NWO wouldn't have the same impact as having Hogan do it. And I'm like, yeah, but Hogan is always trying to take somebody's fucking bag. And that's what I'd be mad about. It's not about him and what he did, but he's always fucking up somebody else's shit. For no reason. Yes, I'm like, why does he do that? Why does he do that? About him he has to have it about him he was in the WWE. what's someone's paycheck got to do with your paycheck that's what i'm saying 
because he's so he was so used. I'm telling you, because he was Vince's favorite. He was Vince's guy before the Undertaker showed up. Excuse me, my voice is going in and out because of allergies. So I apologize if I sound super fucking squeaky right now. He was Vince's dude before the Undertaker showed up. Vince let him do whatever he wants. So what happened? He got a sense of fucking entitlement, and multiple people have said that. He had the sense of entitlement. And when he got to WCW, they pretty much let him do whatever he wants. You can't fucking do that with a prima donna. I'm just, I'm, I, I, was, I was just like, it is always something with him. And every time you hear a story, somebody's bag is getting taken from them because of him. It's, it's, if it's not the fucking union shit, it's this shit. If it's not this, it's Iron Sheik. If it's not Iron Sheik, it's somebody else. It's like, God damn, did you ever not kill anybody else while you were trying to do Macho. what you were doing? Macho Man is a prime example. He could never, for some reason, Macho Man was way better than Hogan. He was better than him on the mic. He was better than him as a character. He was better, like, again, you can't really judge wrestling from now to then he was a way better performer than fucking hogan ever was hogan i mean you slammed andre the giant okay cool but that should have been done before you did it it had been done fucking ricky steamboat Steamboat and macho had the best match of what wrestlemania three excuse me if i get the dates wrong and people still talk about that shit to this day. You tell me Hogan was not holding back Macho. I, I, I'm just tired of the... It was just very... I'm just like, you, you are like one of the biggest pussies I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, why do you fucking do that? And then... When you hear about his behavior, because Nash was just like, me and Scott were coming up with ideas so we could keep the train rolling, and Hogan would steamroll it. He'd be like, oh, man, that is, that's not good, brother. And you're like, okay, well, what's your fucking idea? Where are you going to go with it? And then he has nothing. And it's like, and what, it's like what the, why are you, the two people, first of all, without Hall and Nash, Hollywood Hogan would be shit. I don't care what anybody says. You're not group, lying. The group was made because of them. Scott Hall was the ultimate heel. We all know that. Kevin Nash was Kevin fucking Nash, bro. Like, come on. He had to learn that shit. They were already in it. So you're like spitting in the camera and then it just kept getting worse you kept escalating it instead of like nurturing something then y'all started adding people to your group people Mm -hmm. would be added they'd be disappearing you would Mm -hmm. add people for a specific reason and give the job to somebody else you had no direction dusty rose was in the nwo for like a hot second i forgot he was in it what the fuck was was going on here it was like, so much going on, and they and it just seemed like they were like, "Well, Hogan was was he had he wouldn't let me do it." Bischoff was like, "He wouldn't let me do it unless I gave him creative control." Like, and which means if anybody suggested anything, or if a writer wanted to change something, or even Nash and Hall wanted to create something, he had to okay it in order for it to get done. Well, like the whole heel turn, because Nash, we're not trying to spoil this for you guys, but you need to go watch it and then go look more stuff up on YouTube. I highly recommend anything done by Wrestling With Regret because he goes into full detail about anything that went on with WCW in this era. Um, Era, excuse me. Why do I say era? Oh, because it's WCW. That's why. Um, Like on that day like that is a very iconic memory for people grew who grew up watching wcw was hulk hogan turning heel All right and nash who i will believe more than probably half the probably half the elder group i will believe kevin nash um said at four o'clock that day 
They did not know if Hogan was going to go through with it or not. They didn't know going into the match if Hogan was going to do it. They didn't know until he came out. <laughs> they didn't know until he came out there. And I was just I was like, like... Us doing a show and then me like asking you guys like, hey, are you going to show up? And the three of you are like, oh yeah, well, we don't know. And then it's like five minutes to go and I'm like, where the fuck are they? You know, like... Uh-uh. It was it was it was very enlightening because it just reinforced my idea that he was very very afraid that someone was going to come in and take his spotlight from him, and so because of that fear, he stifled a lot of things, and he ensured that he was the only man who could fix it or the only man who could destroy it, and essentially Ted Turner and then were just like. Okay, at some point, this has to be controlled. It's chaos, but it needs to be controlled chaos. And Bischoff was relishing in it. He was not listening. So they got rid of him. And they were like, we're going to bring in Russo. Because Russo convinced them that he was somehow the fucking savior of the WWE. And that he started the Attitude Era. He was the guy. He created it all. And he just had Ted Turner in his back pocket. He gets there, and there's once in a blue moon that Russo said something that I actually agree with. What he said was, you can't have these guys constantly be in the limelight. You got to start building up the other guys at some point, and he is right. You can't live in the 40s and the 50-year-old wrestlers forever. Eventually, they got to start putting people over and getting ushering in the new the new guard and they weren't doing that you're seeing that now you're seeing that now a lot of the wrestlers that we like i mean hell kenny omega's out and he's almost 40 and you know his body's been taking a hit like all these guys that we've grown up watching they're they're either gone or they're like showing up doing their move and then they leave and then that's it like i don't want to be yeah, seeing they someone do, they can't do anything else I don't want to see someone my dad's age trying to do a power bomb. That's fucking ridiculous. So Russo set the match for Jeff Jarrett and Hollywood Hogan. I'm just going to tell you because you, need, you you have to understand where this leads. And it's just like oh they my have God, the this match. Is crazy. And Jeff Jarrett just lays down. He does not fight or contend and that's embarrassing for a wrestler. He embarrassed him. And Russo gets up on the ring and he's just like, well, here's your fucking belt. This is what you wanted. You wanted to be champion. And he did it in front of the crowd. I think it was at the Bash at the Beach. It was, and it was at a Bash, Bash at the Beach, 99 or 2000. And, and they're, it's funny because now Jeff Jarrett pretty much tries to do the same thing Hogan does. I fucking said yeah. it. Fight me. He, and it, it's just like, you're like, damn, like this is this is this shit is ridiculous. And Hogan was like, This is what you wanted. And he just pins him with his foot on his chest. Jared walks out and Hulk Hogan grabs the belt, takes it to the back, and he throws it. Throws it in the back. No, what, happened, what happened was is that so I I hate Vince Russo with a burning passion to the point. That is the only thing me and Jim Cornette would ever get along with is our hatred toward Vince Russo. Because this guy thinks he's Mr. It and you ain't shit. Um, I got issues with Vince Russo too, if it doesn't show it. Um, he Hogan doesn't want to drop the belt to Jarrett at the pay-per-view. He wants to drop it on Nitro the, the night after. Mm-hmm. And it's that creative control because Hogan played that creative control card at the last minute. And what they don't tell you before Bischoff got let before Bischoff got bounced pretty much out of WCW. Hang on. Fucking allergies. Um, there it got so bad between Bischoff and Russo, because Bischoff was still trying to write. Russo was uh, Russo was trying to write. It got so bad. They had to have a mediator 
between the two of them when they were ever in a room and they would have to sit down like talking to children and be like okay eric this is really great but Russo has this idea that we think is a little bit better. And Vince, I know you worked really hard on this, but Eric kind of has the better idea. Like, it's like you're trying to sit two kindergartners down and trying to get them to get along with the teacher, like right there. And it's, it's just like, the only thing I do, I hate Russo, but he was right about one thing. WCW had a very strong undercard. They had the cruiserweights. They had the Lucha Libres. They had the wrestlers from Japan. You know, that's how I found, that's how I found out about Eddie and Ray and Chavo and Juventud and fucking the original La Parca, God rest his soul. Like, you know, like that's how I found out about those guys. They were in WECW, but they were on a major television channel that you didn't have to stay up till 2 a.m. to watch. They had a very strong undercard. They had a lot of great talent. And Russo wanted to push that. But it's the same problem that you're seeing now. You have fossils like Hogan who still think they're top draws when, sweetheart, you're not. Not fossils. <laughs> it's, it's an insightful episode. Because Vince Russo cuts this promo and he's just like, you'll never see this motherfucker on WCW again. And then to what Alexis was talking about earlier, that's when Hogan makes the statement that Vince Russo basically took WCW from him, which essentially, he's right, because he had creative control, so he did take it from him. Um, it's just, these, these episodes are interesting, because they give you the insight into the person that is creating, that masqueraded as the character. You get to see the arc of the heel at its highest, its lowest, and at the beginning. So I think the Brothers of Destruction is probably going to be an underrated episode because I think out of all of the storylines you've seen coming and going, you get to see that storyline was, was built the way you would do a movie. And it was, it was well done. It was well done. And it was, it was interesting. And I distinctly remember watching The Undertaker as a kid, and I was terrified of that man because he just looked evil to me. As an adult, when you go back and you watch it, it seems silly, but oh my God, when I was a kid, he terrified me. I wasn't too scared of Kane because to me, he didn't have that entity type of back dropped to him and he didn't fully he embodied it in the beginning and even when he took his mask off and he became the other version of Kane he was creepy but I feel like you could kill him like easy easy bullet bam dead <laughs> with the undertaker when you're a kid you're looking at it you're like mm, I don't know I feel like I'm gonna have to have some higher power I'm gonna need some witches or something to get rid of, to get rid of this I don't know Taker how this is going to work. Taker never scared me. If, like, anything, he triggered my goth face to start. So, like, thanks. I never got over that. Thanks, he Mark. Did not, he, he scared me to death. I was easily terrified. I still am. I fight, but uh, I don't like otherworldly paranormal type of shit. Um, I, don't, I don't deal with that shit. I don't like horror movies. Cole loves them. Uh, well, more like Alexis loves them. She'll sit and watch them. I don't like that shit. I don't like being scared. That's not something that I enjoy. And I'll sit and go watch a movie just so I can be scared. No, fuck that. I'm not doing that. So when he says he used slasher films and Alfred Hitchcock films to create his character and to really embody what he wanted, he took aspects of the character to create his own. The same thing Sasha Banks did, which I can admire and appreciate. And there are certain things that I took from each episode that I really felt like a person who wants to go into WWE, especially Sasha Banks' episode, they really, really need to take heed to what she says. Because she was like, I was going in, I was going strong for five years and 
I had no breaks. She said, WWE is a machine. And we're going, we're going. We get maybe one day off. And we're barely getting any sleep. You're the character 24-7. And she said there would be times where she would take her wig off and she doesn't recognize who she is. And that resonated with me because I find that a lot of people burn out of WWE very quickly because they don't understand the sacrifices and the dedication that they have to do to be in the business. There's a certain kind of strength they're going to have to pull from to be a WWE superstar. And your whole life is going to revolve around this business. So when people like Tony Storm up and leave, I understand why they can't handle the schedule. They can't handle the pressure. They can't handle the time and the dedication that they have to do. And that is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Not everybody is cut out to be a part of it. It's like being in basketball. You have the players on the court, and then you have the elite of the elite. They're expected to perform at high volume all the time. And when they fail or they have a bad night or a bad couple of months, the failure rests solely on their shoulders, not on the team as a whole. If Steph Curry misses shots for four games straight, the reason why the Golden State Warriors lost is because Steph Curry missed shots. It's not because the team lacked defense. It's not because the team isn't good enough. It's because Steph Curry wasn't present. And that's the same ideal that you have to look at when it comes to WWE and their superstars. These superstars are the cogs in the machine. Without the cogs, the machine don't work. Okay? So when one cog goes down, they're either going to replace it or fix it. And that's it. It's not about personal shit. It's just business. Sasha went to Vince and told him to release her. She didn't ask to be, let me get some time off. Sis said, I'm out. I'm done. I done did everything. She was just like, I can't do no more. He said, no. He said, no, we're, we're not going to do that. That's where we're going to be. That's fucked up. And that's one thing I will... I, I give Sasha a lot of shit. But, like, I, I give the character Sasha Banks a lot of shit. But when it comes to Mercedes, I give her respect. Because she's like... She she got the time off. And she's like, you know what? I'll call you when I'm ready to come back. And not a whole lot of people can do that shit. No, but she she gave them enough to make them understand that she was indispensable the same thing goes for the I media. think I think also and I always and I hate seeing footage from that night and they showed it briefly like her getting her hair done that night that mania and yeah. her she just looked just just defeated like she it's it was fine. sad like it's it was honestly hard to watch a little yeah. bit. She was she was done. And Bailey says she didn't. And that's why, in off. retrospect, I get so mad when people would try to be like, "Oh, we'll try to talk so much in that locker room." I will never, ever, ever get off a of Ryan Sands fucking neck for that dumb locker room bullshit. Remind me what he do again? He said they were um, all crying. He said that yeah, okay. Bailey and. Sasha Banks were on the floor crying, throwing a tantrum because they were dropping the belts. And oh, they yeah. weren't. They weren't. They were she they were happy for the iconics that they wanted. They were happy. Sasha was trying to leave. She said, take them. She was trying to leave. And they, was, not, they didn't want to release her. And Vince was like, No, you're not, you're not going anywhere. You're gonna take some time off. I I stand by this 100%. I have said it multiple times. People cannot just keep going and going and going like this with no breaks, nothing. We're talking more than a week off, okay? You need more than that. You need time to regroup. You need time to reset. And you can't do that in a week's time in Aruba. 
No, you need you need some fucking mental stability, something that doesn't involve you sitting up trying to figure out if you can make this weak-ass storyline work that the WWE's trying to push off as the greatest thing they've ever created. You need time. And, you know, some... And that may include, you know what? Going in your... Being in your own house or being in your own home, being in your own bed, watching trash TV, and eating junk food. And I'm like, these... And then I see, like, you see it... With the fans, and they're like, oh, we want Sasha Banks back. Why can't you let her live for a little while? So, all right. So anytime, and I will remember this, anytime Tiff went live on her uh, Instagram page, every single question, where's Sasha Banks? When's Sasha Banks going to come back? Where's You guys were relentless on her. And I saw, like, people flooding her Twitter, her Instagram. Like, girl could not even post a picture without, like, half the comments being, when you come back, when you come back, when you come back. Bitch, if I was Sasha Banks, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to sell the rest of my contract, and I won't come back because y'all won't leave me the fuck alone. I was glad when she took a break because she felt like she wasn't interested anymore. She had lost her love for it. And then she went to Japan and she started studying hard style and she began to fall in love with it again. And I can understand her now being in a position where she could help other people get to where she feel like they need to be, like she did with Bianca. Putting Bianca over at WrestleMania was probably one of her greatest achievements. Um working with Naomi now to possibly regain the tag team championships on her side, but give Naomi her first tag team championship. Um, if, and then she worked with Bailey to help put her heel character over. She worked with the Iconics in the past. Like Sasha is not above giving, giving the people who are coming behind her, be they younger or older, she's going to put them over if, if that's the case. She's not concerned with it, how it makes her look as a character because she knows she's always going to be the boss. So that's a person who's secure within themselves, but they're trying to push the, the women's division forward as a whole. They understand what's happening. And that's one of the reasons why I do like, I've, I've liked Sasha for a while. There are going to be some traits about her that I quite frankly don't, care for but there are traits in everybody that I don't care for and I'm sure the feeling is mutual with other people for me but for her specifically she has a way of moving that I can respect and she's just like I resonated more with the heels the heels were my bag and I embodied it I took aspects of characters and created the boss and that's what you see before you is a creation of um, characters and one thing about this series that I do love is the psychoanalysis of it they use Dr. Phil which if you love him or hate him whatever um, they got Dr. Phil but they also have this other psychoanalyst um, that does the stuff for um, the ID network a lot for um, women who kill and she does a lot of analysis for fatal vows and she's a psychotherapist and she does I've seen her so many times on so many of those episodes analyzing people and just talking about them from start to finish so I like that aspect because it gives you a bit more insight going into Randy's episode which is the fifth episode it basically just explains Randy's story arc and how Randy was a bully kid when he was younger, he was bullied heavily. It didn't stop until he got to be bigger. He was taller. He was muscular. He had that growth spurt at puberty. And then he was able to kind of turn the tide, if you say, if you think. Um, one thing about this series that I think they got wrong, which me and Nicole was talking about earlier, is they should have waited to put Roman in the villain series. Um, someone made a point. <clears throat> someone made a point of it on Twitter, where they're like, they showed the clip of like where they're because there was that point where they were trying to shove Roman Reigns down our throats, and people were turning on him. And someone on Twitter's like, 
he goes, you know what? I feel bad for Roman now because I'm watching that clip. I think it was like Royal Rumble or something like that. Yeah. But this, this dude was forced so far down our throats and he didn't even do anything. He's a good guy, but he's getting the shit booed out of him, though. Yeah. I still say they should have waited. Roman hasn't been healed before a year and, and some months. Um, and while I respect his heel arc, and I'm not saying he didn't deserve the story because his heel arc was specific to him, there were other heel stories that needed to be told in the first season. I feel like, and not because he just recently passed, but Scott Hall should have been on this, this season. You, you put Roman here, and I just was curious. I was just like, he, he hasn't been a heel long enough, in my opinion, to put him in the very first season of the Peacock original WWE Evil. I just was like, there, that slot could have been given to someone else. She only had two women in this first series as well. I was like, you had heel Trish Stratus, who was heavily prominent in um, the Attitude Era. You had heel Lita at one point. You know, you could have you could have gave us a little bit more on the women's side as well. I just wish they would have. I don't know. I wish they would have been a little bit more nuanced about it. A little bit more. A little more deep diving. A little bit more. Like, okay, let's go for some heels that people really want to talk about. Because no shade to Roman, but we talking about... You know who I would have had instead of Roman? I would have done Sasha. Oh? Not Sasha, um, Charlotte. Okay. I don't mind that either. Um, that's why I was surprised. I'm glad that they picked Sasha, but I was surprised to see her instead of instead of Charlotte. Because I feel like Charlotte. Charlotte, I felt like that would have been such a great deep dive. Because mm-hmm. after hoping, she was the main roster, it was Heel City for her. Yeah. I was just so, very uh, hopefully that'll be a good that's something that they decide for. for next season. Yes. Overall though, the first four episodes were pretty good. I'm gonna watch the last four episodes. The last four are Orton, Stephanie. Ric Flair and um, Roman Reigns is the final one. He's got almost an hour. Out of everybody else, he has the most time. (laughs) Everybody else got 45. Um, The Miz had 48 minutes. Everybody else got 48 to 40 to 48 minutes, and he has 52 minutes on his. So. We'll have to look at it and see. We're always going to talk about Flair because, you know, they call Ric Flair the dirtiest player in the game. And I'm curious about Stephanie's story. I'm just kind of, I'm, it kind of blew me away that they did one about Rick, considering everything that has been going on since that one episode of Dark Side of the Ring. Well, honestly, no matter I what they've done, I think they've had this film for a while. And really, you can't skip over Ric Flair like that. Like, he might be a piece of shit person, but um, his character is significant in wrestling. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Yeah. And again, I think Derry probably had this film before all that shit came out, too. True. They knew what the fuck was up. They should have just prepared for it. But unless anybody else has anything else to say about the show, any of you ladies got any final thoughts about WWE? 
evil. I just, I just want them to go a little bit deeper, just a little bit deeper, but I know I'm not going to get it. But overall, from what I've seen, they do a pretty good job of giving out the basic info. So if you want more like, information about it, Alexis is like, she's always an encyclopedia of information. However, you can go to Wrestling with Regret, and there's a bunch of YouTube channels who would probably talk about Hollywood Hogan and NWO story specifically. And you can find so much information on the internet yourself. But they're just giving you like a 45 minute overview of each character as a whole from their perspective and the perspective of others. And they've got some pretty obscure people that are in here commenting on it. And you're just like, mm, that's interesting. Like I wouldn't expect them to be talking about it. They've got journalists, they've got sports analysts, they've got DJs, they've got rappers, they have alternative rock and rock artists, they've got former wrestlers. Everything you can think of from psychotherapists to psychologists, they have anybody and everybody that have a connection or wanted to talk about it, they interviewed and talked about it. And it's John Cena executive produced it and he narrates it. I thought Cena, I thought Cena was a good job to do narrator. Um, I just want to know why DDP is getting hotter as he's getting older. Like, I, I, I hate that. I, hate, I don't find DDP attractive, but if you do, live your best know, life. I don't know. I don't. He's not bad to look at for an old man. He's a wrinkly old fart who does DDP yoga. Shut up. <laughs> Come here, sexy grandpa. Help me with this cobra puff. Ew. That's sick. No. <laughs> but. Palette cleanser, though, seriously. Um, Wrestling with Regret actually did. Um, I know I keep mentioning Brian Zane a lot, but he's actually one of the best wrestling YouTube channels out there. And, um, yeah, he's just awesome. And I am a total, if I ever get to fucking meet him, I'd probably fangirl, like, really bad. Um, <laughs> because he, he's very, he go, he's just very cool, and you can tell he does his research. And if he makes a mistake, unlike some people, what culture? Um, I'm sorry, my allergies. Um, he goes back and he admits when he makes a mistake. Um, so uh, he actually has a timeline. If you guys are interested about Hogan and the fall of the NWO and WCW, he has a complete timeline of WCW pay-per-views at like the beginning leading up to the very end. And it's very fascinating when you hear about like all the back, like what happened in behind the, you know, in the pit and all that shit. It was actually really cool. I, I I like it. I like it. I hope they do an episode of Jake the Snake. That would be really cool. If they did that. There's another dude I feel like they could have put up here too, over Roman. Roman, I like Roman. I've always liked Roman. I've always been a strong advocate for Roman Reigns. But like I said, he just got into his story, and I I just felt like. You could have just gave Roman like a whole fucking chronicle, you know, um, or put him on Broken Skull Sessions and let him talk to Stone Cold a bit. You know what I'm saying? But his story as a heel hasn't been going even half as long as some of the heels who are up here, like not even long as Sasha Banks, you know, and she's like from his era of starting in the in terms of coming from NXT. She's one of the originals, just like he's one of the originals. So I'm just saying, like, they could have picked somebody else. <laughs> it sounds bad, but it's it's hot. So I hope you guys watch WWE Evil. It's very, very interesting to watch, especially if you're the kind of person who likes to understand a character and really resonate with them and at least try to understand where they're coming from, whether they're heel or face or you just want to understand where these characters come from, their start, their origin. If you're very interested in that and some, you know, some little tidbits about what was going on behind the scenes that WWE Evil is your bag. We're going to watch the last four episodes and do another episode um, reviewing it. And hopefully Janae will be here then and she can give her insight as well. 
And don't worry, because we'll be back next week. We might do roast sessions next week or something, and we'll cover some other stuff. But next week is WrestleMania. And, and Stand and Deliver. Stand and Deliver comes on at 1 o'clock on Saturday, and then Mania starts at 5 or 6, I believe, after Stand and Deliver. So and we're and Nicole is finally going to WrestleMania after two years of waiting. <laughs> I hope she has a good time because Nicole deserves so, it. She's gonna do uh she's got a lot of indie shows that she's going to. So she if you don't want to be on here when we record after media, completely understand, go do your thing, have fun, because you fucking deserve it. Yeah. Um me and Tuff will hold it down, but when you come back, we want reports, we want tea, we want the gossip, we want all that shit. So. <laughs> Can't wait. Shout out to Love Wrestling and all the podcasts we do, we hook up with in the Midwest Mullet and Mafia, and everybody that rides for us. Heavy, we appreciate that. I hope you guys enjoy WrestleMania and you have a good time. Um, and on that note, we're going to go. So. Bye. 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 <laughs>